0: That's where we come to love. The answer that we find is love. For in Christ, as we've looked at this verse, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So your faith will work through your love. If you want to have faith, if you want to live your life in pursuit of being made more and more like Jesus, then it has to be done through love. Love. Another other way around it. So if you want to live your life in pursuit of being made more and more like Jesus, it has to be done through love. It has to be done. In 1 Corinthians 13, we've talked about this passage. Has anyone ever been to a wedding where they read 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is kind. Just Caroline. Just one? Every wedding? Okay, thank you. So if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13. Probably. Uh, we did not read that at our wedding Um, yeah, I don't know. But what's really interesting about the context of that chapter is that Paul's talking about why love is better than spiritual gifts, like um, prophecy or tongues, some other spiritual gifts. He's talking about how love is better and love is greater. And this is what Paul says in the first three verses that's usually not spoken at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul says that you can be the most impressive Christian, you can have you can be the most gifted and talented Christian there is, but if you do not have love, you're no better than a clanging symbol, which I think is a very like pointed insult. <laughs> like man, you're nothing more than a clanging symbol. It's like I guess I'm supposed to be offended by that, right? But it's like you're 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 of no use. You're no prophet. And he says you can you can understand scripture so well you can have all the knowledge you can impress people with how much you know about the genealogy of jesus and what justification is and sanctification and glorification but if you do not love you're nothing he says you're nothing all that knowledge is for nothing if you do not love he even says you can have faith so much faith that you can move mountains you can do amazing things for the kingdom of god You can have so much faith that you are making gains for the kingdom of God. But if you do not have love, you're nothing. So love is extremely important. Love is at the center of our whole Christian life. It must be where our heart is. Our heart must be to love. So love is of critical importance. Love is not a mere convenience to the Christian life. Or a nice addition to your personality. Love must be at the center of your Christianity. It's not that there should be loving Christians and unloving Christians. There should be a a Christian that is pursuing the hope that we have in Christ through faith. That means it will be working out in love. As Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now these three abide. Faith, hope, and love. And then he goes, but the greatest of these... Is love The greatest of these is love. And it's only because, it's only through love that faith works. And if our faith does not work, then our hope is nothing. So, we are in the last session, and this is where we've arrived, considering this huge call on our life. Right? We, we have to place our hope in the renewal of all creation and the lordship of Jesus, and we seek to be made more and more like Jesus today, But yet, we're just left with this simple command. If you can just focus in on this simple command, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Sometimes we read scripture, hear a sermon, and we respond like this. This is how we respond. Well, there's another thing that I gotta do that I'm not doing. Right? Well, geez. Not doing that either. So just add that to the list. It's like we we can get overwhelmed. It's like, yeah, man, I've got to, okay, so I'm supposed to have hope. I'm supposed to, you know, live more and more like Jesus. I've got to read my Bible every day. I've got to pray not only just every day, but like continually. And I've got to give and serve. It's like, oh, like how am I going to do all this? And what Jesus says is if you love God and you love others, that's all you got to do. Because in your love of God and in your love of others, all of those other things will come into place. I promise you. Jesus says that love is the sum of the law, meaning all the commands, all of the the things that God has put in place to show you how holy, how awesome and righteous he is, and how you can prosper and have a good life. All of those laws can be summarized by you just loving him and loving others. So hear me. At the end of the day, at the end of this weekend, you have one command. You've got one thing that you're called to. Because if you, if you do this, then everything else will fall into place. You love God and you love other people. Don't come out of this weekend saying, well, Taylor gave us a long list of things to do. No, it, it, it's, it's about your love. Your love for God and your love for others. So, I I can, um, you know, sympathize with you, right? I think at the end of the day, I often get wrapped up in lists of how I can please God. Check the box. Quiet time, check the box. Make a Twitter about the quiet time, you know. (laughs) Right? There's the box. But now it gets to the point where I can barely do anything, without depending on God. So here's the thing. I've been down that road of making lists and checking off the boxes, thinking that that's how you earn God's favor. And the only thing that it leads to, the only road it leads to, it's constant discouragement and disappointment. You're just gonna be continually discouraged if you keep putting standards and lists on God's favor with you. So not because those things are bad, but because we're called to something higher, called to completely and totally love God. And from that love, we are to love others. And in doing that and seeking to love God totally and to love others, we'll, we'll find ourselves pursuing exactly what God wants, wants us to pursue. And that's amazing. So do not get overwhelmed with the Christian lists. Instead, be totally consumed by the call to love God and love others. So Christian love, we, we, we want to specifically look at what it means for a Christian to love, what that means exactly and how we can best exercise that, do it in our daily life. So I believe this definition, as I've kind of looked through scripture, best helps us here. Love is the act of sacrificially pursuing the well-being of others as Jesus did. Now, I don't want to spend a super long time demonstrating um, all of what Scripture says about love. Uh, We've talked about that a little bit. In that video, it showed you all of the kind of intricacies um, with the word love and how it's used and also the different languages that goes through. Like, Jesus spoke Aramaic. The people that wrote the New Testament uh, wrote in Greek, so they translated Jesus' words. And then we speak English, so there's all this translation, Right? So there's some intricacy there. But I think this definition helps us as we move forward. Love is the act of sacrificially pursuing the well-being of others, as Jesus did. But there's one basic characteristic in here that I think is really, really important. And it's the fact that our understanding of love is defined by a person. Our understanding of love is defined by what Jesus did and who he is. We have the claim as Christians that our God is love. Our God defines love. We do not define love based on simply worldly understandings of love or the way we personally experience love. But if we don't understand our call as Christians to love in regards to who Jesus is and who God is, we'll we'll define it on our own terms and we'll fail. We will completely fail. So let me unpack this by just showing one of the main differences, I think, today between Christian love and worldly love. For the most part, especially in regards to like romantic love, like every romantic movie ever, love is described as this feeling that's just overwhelming emotion, that is simply uncontrollable and irresistible. It's like, I just, I I love him. I love him. You get goosebumps, you get the butterflies in your stomach, and it's like, I love that, oh my goodness. And you know, it's just like this instant emotion that you can't control and it just pops up, right? We also see this used when, when we're talking about uh, marriage and same-sex attraction, right? It's just, I love that. Like, that, that's the feeling, that's the emotion I get. I love, I love that, right? So we, we understand definitions of worldly love. Really, I think we can dwindle it down to that is that love is a feeling, an overwhelming emotion that's simply uncontrollable and irresistible. There's a popular worship song out now that I won't bust. Well, I'm busting it right now. Um, It's called Reckless Love. I'm fine with it. It's cool, okay, you come up with another adjective for God's love. I get it. But I wonder if that's helpful. Like, if we think about God's love being reckless, it's like without thought. It's without intentionality. It's without... Like it's just he's just throwing over tables to get to you. Like, I don't know about that. But I think I think what what happens is this understanding of worldly love, like love is this overwhelming emotion that doesn't have thought, discernment, intentionality to it. It's just an overwhelming, irresistible feeling. I think we we translate that experience of worldly love onto God when we think about his love. Now, listen, there is some nuanced or really slight agreement with God's love is just He fiercely pursues you. Like no matter what. I get that. But I think the reason we, we understand God's love or use that that terminology is because of the understanding we have of worldly love. Does that make sense? So what is Christian love? Christian love, it's not merely a feeling, but it's a choice and it's an action. And because it's a choice and it's an action, it's deliberate. It's not, not to use the, it's not like, it's controlled. Like God knows exactly what he's doing when he loves you. It is not some outside force that's causing God to just like stir up emotions for you. God doesn't just want to grab you and hug you. That's not, that's like, I'm not saying God doesn't care for you. But if that's how you feel God's love or that's what you understand God's love to be, you're missing out on how awesome God's love is for you. You're missing out on it. Because Christian love, while it doesn't ignore the emotion that's involved, it describes love in a much more active, intentional way. When scripture describes the love of God and that, what he has for us when it's called love, it's always in terms, listen to me, of what he has done. What he has done. Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, for one, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were st- still sinners, Christ died for us. Right, you see that? It's God shows his love by doing, by acting. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God did something. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's love did something. It's not something like, oh, I just, I care for you. That's not God's love. God's love did something for you. But God, uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. John 3, 16, which Jackson doesn't know, I guess. For God so loved the world that he did something. He gave his one and only son. He gave. Right? So in all these passages, God's love is linked to God's action. The love of God is not simply a nice feeling he has for you. It's an active pursuit of you in and through the work of Jesus. Guys, that shouldn't be bad news to you. That should be awesome news because the creator of the universe is pursuing you and that's what his love means. His love means that I'm going to pursue you and do something about your well-being. I'm not simply gonna be like, man, I hope everything goes all right. God acts. God acts and that's how he defines and shows his love. If you do not understand the love of God In terms of God's action in the gospel, you will never experience his love in the way he intended. If you do not understand the love of God in terms of God's action in the gospel, you'll never experience his love in the way he intended. If you only expect to experience God's love according to the world's terms, in the way of an uncontrollable flood of emotion, with goosebumps, butterflies in your stomachs, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. And more important, if you never experience the love of God in accordance with what God has done in the gospel, then you will not express that love in the same way. And that's really the kicker. If you do not experience the love of God in terms of the gospel, then you will not be able to express the love of God in terms of the gospel. God intended not only for you to, have, uh, to be the recipient of his love, he intended for you to be a conduit so that you receive God's love and then dish it out. So it flows not only in you but through you. So how you intake God's love, how you understand it and receive it will determine how you show that love to other people. That's so important. If we're only trying to show the love of God in terms of God has a wonderful plan for your life, it's got a 401k, retirement, maybe some stock, right? No, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It, his name is Jesus, and he showed it to you in the gospel, right? So if we want to, to show people God's love, we have to understand it in terms of the gospel and God's action we have to. So here are some characteristics of love that we see in the gospel. And these are characteristics that will help us in showing love and living our Christian life as we're supposed to with faith, hope, and love. Number one, God is the source and the author of love. Love is from God and God is love. Without God, there is no love. God is the fountain from which all love must flow. It's impossible to rightly love God and others if you do not know God. Because God is love and he's the source of love. As Christians, we worship a God who is love. If our lives are meant to be images of God, if we are meant to be little Christs, pictures and representations of who God is, then our lives must be marked by love. If our God is love, then we must have lives marked by love. People should look at Christians and know that the God we serve is a God of love. And guys, we fail at this so much. I fail at this so much. But here's, here's the crux of it. Here's what, what we have. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, are also to love one another. I don't focus in on this. By this, that this means by you loving one another, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know you're a follower of Jesus by how you love, and specifically how you love other people in this room. It's by how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. People will know that the God you serve is a God of love when you demonstrate that by loving others number two love is eternal determining our identity and destiny Uh, there's this really cool passage um, in first corinthians 13 that i think talks about why love is the greatest of the three paul says love never ends see these things like prophecies Tongues, they will pass away. They will cease. Knowledge, think about this. Knowledge will pass away. For we know in part, and we only prophesy in part, we see like in a mirror dimly lit. But when the perfect comes, when the end comes, when our hope arrives, the partial will pass away. So faith will end and hope will end. There'll be a time in eternity where you do not have faith and you do not have hope because it's there. If your hope has arrived, you do not have hope anymore because hope that is seen is not hope. And if you don't have a hope, you don't have faith because faith is the substance of hope. But love never ends. Love is eternal. You will be loving for the rest of eternity. Love is eternal. And what what do you think that means? Why, Why does Paul say that? I think it's because... Love determines, it's, it's at the center of who we are. We, you guys, have, if, if you've been here on Sunday nights, you've heard me probably say you are what you love. You're not, you are not what you think, right? You are what you love. Meaning that your loves point you to your greatest desires and your greatest hopes and dreams and your destiny. So while it's a little odd for Paul to be talking about the eternity of love... We have to understand that what he's talking about is that at the center of our existence as human beings, our loves give us our identity and they fix our destiny. Our loves tell us who we are and point us to where we are going. So love is at the center of who you are and it tells you where you're going. Since love is eternal, it shows us that our loves are something that reside deep in our hearts. It's the essence of who we are. It's at the center of who you are. Unlike worldly love, this love is not an emotion or a feeling. It's not responsive to our circumstances, but rather our love determines our circumstances. Love is eternal. Our loves determine our identity and our destiny. So just get really practical, okay? You are what you love. This means whatever you love will determine your greatest desires and your greatest goals. Whatever you love the most will determine what you desire and what goals you set in life. If you love football and more so the pride that it gives you, then your desires will be geared to being a better football player and your goals will be set according to those desires. You want to be able to run fast, throw the ball with accuracy, all the things that go together with football, I don't know, or say you love popularity you just always want to be the center of of attention, you'll do whatever it takes to get more and more likes on social media or, or more friends in your circle, then you will desire to do those things that will give you more popularity. You will do those things because that's your greatest love. And in doing those things, you're determining your destiny according to your desires. So you understand? This is why love is eternal, because we, as human beings, will live on for eternity with God or without him. And our loves determine where we are going. It determines who we are and our destiny. So that's why I think Paul talks about love as being eternal. And that's why I think love is the greatest of these two, because it it gets to to your heart. Number three, love multiplies. Love multiplies. Um, When you really love something... You tell people about it. When uh, you really enjoy something, you really, really love something, it's just compelled in you to share it. Um, I, I think we can thank love for memes. And that's a real shame. <laughs> right? You, you love it, you laugh so much, you enjoyed it, you just love that, so you share it, and, and it's gone. It's out of control, guys. It's out of control. It's out of control. But read this passage from 1 John 4. Uh, John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. One of the key things to focus in on this passage is that love is contagious. It multiplies. If you have experienced the love of God, then you ought to, as he says, love one another. And that last verse is kind of weird, right? It says, no one has ever seen God. And then it just says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And I think what he's saying is, no one's ever seen God, but they see you. They see you, and if you live in such a way that you display the love of God, they see God. And I think it's just this, this whole idea that if you have really experienced the love of God, that will multiply in others around you. You will see the love of God being poured out from you, and it will be contagious. It will be contagious. I mean, it's just, we love only because he first loved us, and because he loved us, we now love. It's contagious, it multiplies. So how is love multiplying in your life? How is the love of God being shown in your life? Are you someone who has caught the fever and it's contagious, right? Is God so, has God so radically shown you his love in the gospel that it's contagious and it multiplies in and through you? That's an honest question we need to, to ask ourselves. Number four. Oh, sorry, I always do that. Number four, Love takes the initiative. Love takes the initiative. Praise God that he loves the unlovable. This is the gospel. He doesn't love you because you're awesome. He doesn't love you because you know the right things about him. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, love you because you're smarter than everybody else. He doesn't love you because you're a Republican. doesn't love you because you're a Democrat. He doesn't love you for any reason in you except the fact that he loves you. He took the initiative. God did not wait for us to get our act together in order to call us his children. When when Hudson was born, I didn't say, okay, cool, we'll see if this one works out. (laughs) Maybe he'll be my child one day. No, he's my child. I love him. And it's not for any reason more than he's my child. Same way with God and you. God has taken the initiative to say, you are my child. So while we were still weak, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for not good people, not people who were behaving somewhat. He died for ungodly people. Christ, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just put that in perspective, guys. We had, as, as sinful people, we are rejecting God who created us, formed us in his image. We're saying, yeah, God, I understand you created this whole world and it's, it's good, it's for your glory, but I want my glory. And, and God says, no, I love you. You're literally kicking and screaming, saying, God, your way is not going to work out for me. You're spitting in his, in his face. You're mocking him by saying that your life is more important than the universe, and he loves you. I can't love the person that cuts me off on the highway. God's loving the person that is literally beating him and nailing him to a cross. Guys, we... We have to understand the the love that God has for us. It's It's a love that doesn't wait for people to get their act together. It doesn't wait for people necessarily to apologize. It doesn't wait for people to feel the full weight of their sin or their offense. It's a love that takes the initiative. Christ did not love people who were easy to love. My wife can tell you, I'm not an easy person to love. I'm not an easy person to love. All of us in here are not easy people to love because love isn't easy. Love isn't easy. Love is difficult. And it takes a determined choice. It takes initiative on your part. Say, although this person's unworthy of this, me too, I'm also unworthy. So I'm going to show love anyway. He did not only love his friends. He didn't simply love the cool people, the powerful people, the nice-looking people. Jesus loved the rotten, filthy, unbearable, crazy, self-centered, murderous, adulterous, hypocritical low of of society. And I can't even love my neighbor. I can't even love a sibling. I can't love my parents. And these are the type of people Jesus loves. And not only in like, yeah, those are, yeah, I love them. That's not just as long as they stay over there. I love him. Right? No, he loves them by dying for their sins, being humiliated, suffering for a penalty he did not deserve, and offering them a free gift. Saying, You don't have to be a victim anymore. It's amazing. I love this passage in Deuteronomy. I've probably uh, shared this with, with you guys before. But um, God's talking to the people of Israel um, through Moses, and this is kind of his last speech to them. And Moses is just reminding Israel about the covenant right before they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses reminds them, he says, you are a people that are holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God has chosen you, Israel, and It was not because you were more numbered than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. It was not because you were more numbered. It was because God loved you. God loved Israel because he loved Israel. You are chosen Holy people of God through the person of Jesus Christ, and He loves you because He loves you. There's no other reason. It's because God has taken the initiative. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because you're more talented. It's not because you're white. It's not because you're American. It is because God loves you. So God takes this unimpressive people group, the Israelites, And uh, he turns them into uh, his people. In the same way for us, God chose us because he loved us. We are loved loved by God, not because of anything that's worthy in us to be loved, but by God's grace and his mercy. So we did not earn God's love to us, and other people should not have to earn our love to them. We did not earn God's love so other people shouldn't have to earn ours. Mm, that hurts. That hurts. So, in that, we know that love sacrifices. Like we said, guys, it's not easy. It's difficult. And so love sacrifices as we look at the gospel it's not only that love takes the initiative but love sacrifices god demonstrated his own love to us through jesus and he did it by sending his son to be crucified the act of greatest humility is how god loved us philippians 2 a a great passage do nothing Paul says, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, have this mindset in you, of caring for other people and counting them as more significant, because this is your mindset in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ counted us as significant and looked out for our interests while forsaking his immediate interests. He did this by not counting equality with God, something he should hold on to. Emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, being born as a man, becoming obedient to a point of a painful, excruciating, shameful death on a cross. So God's love is demonstrated to us as this sacrifice. For us, we may need to sacrifice our reputations to love well. We may need to sacrifice our comfort to love well. We may need to sacrifice some sleep. We may need to swallow our pride. But none of these sacrifices compare to the sacrifice Jesus Christ paid in loving you. As Christians who have been saved by such a loving sacrifice, we should be people who sacrificially love God and others, in reality, we will see that the things we struggle to sacrifice, our reputations, our comfort, those things we struggle to sacrifice just to love other people in this room well, are things that are not worth holding on to. They're only immediate sacrifices. They're only immediate. Because jesus's sacrifice although he immediately looked to our interests and not his own and he counted us more significant than himself his sacrifice was only um, only temporary because jesus's sacrifice ultimately ended with his exaltation so jesus in in some sense yes he he counted equality with god not a thing to be grasped but he knew the end game he knew he'd be exalted you knew this was for God's glory. And guys, you need to know the sacrifices you make to love other people, they're temporary. They're not worth holding on to. They're not worth holding on to. It's worth it to love. It's, the sacrifice is worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. Number six, love transforms the loved one. Again, Uh, God's love is not passive, it's transformational love. God doesn't just have a nice feeling towards you. God has done something for you, that's what his love is, and in doing something for you, he's changing you. When you truly know the love God has for you in Jesus, it changes you. It changes you. Paul writes in Ephesians 3 that we are to be rooted and grounded in love as a part of a of a process of being strengthened by his spirit. And he says that the more we comprehend the the breadth and height and depth of God's love, the more we are filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, the more you know God, the more God fills you. The more God fills you, the more you are strengthened by his spirit to follow Jesus. So God's love is not simply something that happens to you, but it is something that transforms you. God's love is not something that simply happens to you. It transforms you. In the same way, when we love others, we're not simply doing nice things for other people. We're not simply doing things for them. We're not merely making their circumstances better. Even deeper than that, as we love people in the way that God loves, we are actually transforming their lives. We are transforming their lives. As we love people, we are bringing them closer and closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what our love should look like. Our love shouldn't be simply something that we do to people. It's it's something that uh, changes us and the people around us. It's creating this culture, this society of love. You're building a kingdom. You're building something that God is, is calling a community, the church. You're building that. So you're transforming lives. Number seven, this is the last one. Love seeks the ultimate good. As we've already mentioned, love's not simply about being polite to people, smiling all the time, holding a door open, giving the poor food or homeless a place to sleep. Love certainly can entail those things, but that's not all it is. Love is the act of sacrificially pursuing the well-being of others as Jesus did. And how did Jesus sacrificially pursue our well-being? He sought to reconcile our broken relationship to God. He sought to remedy our biggest problem, paying the penalty for our sin. Jesus knew that the biggest issue concerning our well-being is our relationship to God. In the same way, it should be our aim, our desire, our pursuit to love others by addressing their greatest need, which means we need to seek to point them to Jesus. I think Jesus displays this characteristic so well in the story of Lazarus. So uh, Jesus is kind of out of town and Lazarus was a close friend of his. And In the passage, John 11, it talks about how Jesus had this love for Lazarus. And so Lazarus' um, I guess it was sisters, I forget, uh, friends, they come and they say, hey, hey Jesus, uh, Lazarus is going to die. You need to come back and like, heal him. And Jesus says, no, it's not, it's not going to, you just need to turn around. And uh, then Jesus tells his, his, his disciples that whatever happens in this situation, they're not going to go, he's not going to go to Lazarus because this situation is going to turn out for God's glory. Well, Jesus, knowing everything, uh, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus dies, and there's very interesting exchange that happens when La- when Jesus finally comes back to see Lazarus, who's dead. The sister, or the friend—I keep forgetting—says, um, "Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lazarus wouldn't have died." You know, you get this passage where Jesus actually weeps. Jesus weeps. And Jesus doesn't weep because he misses Lazarus. He weeps because of the pain I think he sees in, in the girls and friends. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's amazing. And then I love it, uh, the passage. He comes out, he's in grave clothes, and uh, Jesus is like, take those things off, and he stinks, basically. <laughs> but here's, here's the point. Jesus was more concerned with God getting glory than preserving Lazarus' life. Jesus was more concerned about God getting glory than preserving good circumstances. That's how Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus by equipping him to glorify God. Jesus loved Lazarus by equipping him to glorify God. So God's love for us is manifested in the same way. He equips us to glorify Him. Now, the good news about this is God gets most glory not from preserving people in good circumstances, but by resurrecting dead people. God's most glorious action for you is not that you live a comfortable life, and you have good circumstances, God's most glorious action for you is that he changes your heart from deadness to a life. He takes your deadness and he brings it to life by the power of Jesus. Guys, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And you need to know this. God's love for you is not that you simply have an awesome, happy life. God's love for you is that you experience resurrection. That's not only for your benefit, but it's for God's glory. So God's glorious love for you is that he'll take your deadness and he'll bring it to life through Jesus. Amazing. It's amazing. So yeah, God loves you in ways that are unimaginable. But he loves you not by simply catering to your every need or want. He loves you by giving you resurrection through Jesus. And that's what you need. That's what you really need. In the same way, that's how God loves us. So we ought to love others by seeking for them to experience resurrection for the glory of God. Are you seeking for other people to experience the resurrection of Jesus? Are you sacrificing for it? Are you taking the initiative? Are you doing it even when it's hard? Even when it may, may think that, oh, like, what are they trying to do? Oh, look at them trying to be a cool Christian. Oh, look at them doing the right thing. Are you, are you only going to do it when it's convenient to you? Because God did not love us that way. Are you pursuing people to experience the resurrection of Jesus? Because you, you are called to do that. We are all called to do that. And guys, we need to do that. So we've, we've spent hours unpacking what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. This is a high calling. It's a hard calling. It's difficult. In fact, it's impossible. You can't live up to these standards. I can't live up to these standards. We are people who have been called to find our hope in the complete renewal of the universe and having found our hope in that through Jesus' lordship, we are to be made more and more like Jesus every day which is something we do by sacrificially pursuing others' well being as Jesus did. I look at that calling, I look at my life, and I feel like a complete failure. You might be feeling the same way. You might say, That's what I'm supposed to do? I can't even read my Bible every day. I had a hard enough time soaping on Wednesday nights. You want me to be like Jesus? It's impossible. How can I ever do that? I can barely get over losing a basketball game. Like, that's hard. Or like, I can barely get over, you know, not getting able to to have my phone when I go to bed or not being able to, you know, play whatever video game I want to play. I have a hissy fit. I I can't even do that. Like, you want me to, to be like Jesus? Right now, you may feel that unbearable weight. It's God-sized expectations, and they're crushing you. And they're crushing you so much that you're running away from it. You're saying, I can't do that. And it's just, everything else is so much easier. It's easier just to show up on Sunday nights every once in a while, not feel guilty. I can't actually do what Jesus calls me to do. So this weight may be crushing you, But do not run away from that weight. Do not say, okay, well, I just can't do that, so I'll leave it alone. Let it crush you. Let the weight of that really hit you home. Because in that, you are only left to surrender. And that's what God wants. God wants you to give up fighting to do it yourself. And he wants you to look up to the cross and the empty tomb and say, it's done. God has done it for you. Guys, this is crazy. This is foolishness. Like, we have this huge calling and yet, at the same time, we're being told it's fulfilled in Jesus? Like, so you may feel totally insufficient, But God is unimaginably more sufficient. So yes, this calling to the Christian life, it's it's absolutely impossible within your own power, strength, effort, abilities. And if you're simply gonna try to turn this into a code of conduct for you to live a good life, you will be continually discouraged. You won't be able to do it. You won't. So you'll fake it. Say, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's all right? I read my Bible a little bit. Meanwhile, you can't escape your addiction. You can't escape the broken relationships that are just surrounding your life. And you're afraid to call out for help because you aren't passing the test. You don't have to pass the test. Jesus did. And he said, you're failing grade? I'll give you my A+. Plus. Amazing. It's amazing. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Because it's not saying, okay, do, 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 do all this stuff. It's saying Jesus did, 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 did all that stuff. So there should be sweetness to the freedom that you have in Christ. It should be sweet. It should be joyful. Because while you feel overwhelmed, God's proclaiming it's finished. And the God who saved you is faithful, and the good work that he begins in you, he'll bring it to completion. He will bring you to full renewal through Jesus. God will ultimately deliver you from the brokenness and bondage you experience every day, and he wants that new life to begin in you today. The head that once was crowned with the is crowned with glory now, the Savior now to wash our feet.